Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. Guest today is a physician and a chef that I happened to meet virtually and very recently. And when I heard what his occupation is, or rather his occupations are, I thought to myself, gee, I hope he'll agree to be a guest on my podcast. He's so interesting. Well, Dr. Mike agreed, and today is the day. Dr. Michael Fenster, welcome and thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm delighted. I can't I can't wait to start chit-chatting with you because you are also one of the most interesting people I've come across. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what you think. When you get to know me better, I could be quite boring, I assure you. But seriously, I you know, I I I don't know whether I told you this, but I watch the Food Network all the time. And I'm just amazed by the fact that you're a physician and a chef. And I was like, yes. this is weird. Yes. And, and, you know, what's very interesting is that's really kind of a new phenomenon in terms of the separation between appreciating the health and our food, you know, as one entity. If you look back to like ancient Greece and ancient China, the very, in fact, the very first cookbooks of ancient Greece were actually written by physicians because dietetics and the knowledge of food was so important to the healing arts. And hopefully, you know, we brought them together once again. One of the other things I also do is teach culinary medicine at the University of Montana. And so that is kind of the the culmination. So, you know, what, what is the saying? Nothing new under the sun. You know, we've, we've kind of gone back to our roots. Hopefully, we've done that with the advantage of, of the modern scientific method, but uh, really an ancient, ancient pursuit and combination. Well, you know, now that you mention it, I've been to Greece and I always loved a Greek and Roman mythology. And I know that herbs played a great role in healing for, you know, for doctors. And I never really thought of it in terms of how much of an effect it had on food and food preparation. But now that you mention it, they do go hand in hand, as I think of it. Absolutely, uh, Beverly. And, and it's very interesting because one of the things that we really focus on in culinary medicine 
is certainly we appreciate all the work and, and the effort and the knowledge uh, that we continue to garner from disciplines like the classic nutrition, uh, which is you know very focused on nutrients. And some might argue that it's focused to a degree of exclusion of the big picture because at the end of the day, we eat food, not nutrients. And we concentrate on roughly about 150 nutrients that we've identified that are very, very important, we feel. And we study and we look at all these interactions. But the food we eat contains over 26,000 different compounds. And, and you bring up a great example when you talk about herbs. So when we look at herbs, right, they don't contribute very many calories. They don't contribute, you know, a whole lot of nutrients. They're the basis of these flavor profiles that we recommend. And yet what we're learning is that many of these compounds found in herbs and, and in foods in general are what we call bioactives. And they can literally turn some of our human genes on and off. And of course, they interact with the bacteria in our gut. So they're an essential component to not only the flavor and the flavor profiles that as a chef, you know, I like to build and you talk about Greek. So we're talking about, you know, like thyme and marjoram, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, you mentioned Roman, so we're, we're adding maybe some basil and some oregano, uh, et cetera, and those familiar flavor profiles, but it goes hand in hand uh, with the status of our health as well. Well, I know um, some of my physicians are Indian and they recommend turmeric and ginger to combat inflammation. And just by eating certain certain foods, ingesting certain herbs, including that, the herbs and, and spices in our meals can help combat things like inflammation. It's just amazing to me. I mean, to you, as you say, as much as new, it's old. You know, there's a, a book called Back, what is it? It used to be Back to Basics or it was in a book about, I guess, homeopathic approaches to healing and nutrition that a long time ago, one of my dear older friends gave me and said, you should keep this. You could, you could use this instead of going to the drugstore all the time. Yeah. And, and you, you bring up a, a interesting point. And again, one of the, in culinary medicine, we focus on, on a lot of things really sort of from soil to sup. So we're talking about you know, the health of our soil and how our food is, is raised and how we prepare it and how we source it and, and how we eat it and with whom we eat it, when we eat it, et cetera. But because there is such a, a breath, we have to start our focus somewhere. And so a logical plate is to, a logical place, a logical plate as well, is to start with what's on the plate. And what's really come to light probably over the, only the last decade or so, and, and really the data is just sort of accumulated the last several years, is that it's even simpler than we think. It turns out that in the modern industrial production of food, what we might call ultra-processed food, we tear apart the natural matrix, which is the way that nature uh, put things together that I'm sure they probably covered in the book that your friend gave you. And then we put it back together and we add things to enhance the shelf life, to enhance the flavor. We add sugar, salt, fat, uh, et cetera. And really, it seems that these, when we look at it, it's the amount of the ultra-processed food that we eat that seems to correlate to a risk of chronic disability and disease like obesity, diabetes, heart disease. And in fact, it seems to correlate very directly to an increased risk of an early death. 
So if we change our perspective and not look at food in a very complicated way with carbs and percent RDAs, and it has this much and that much of that, and, you know, red meat and vegetables and this and that, but simply as, as whether it's ultra processed or not, and get, as you said, back to the basics of eating real food, it turns out, you know, that at the end of the day, hey, big surprise lesson here, right? Nature packaged food that sustains and helps us and actually reduces this inflammation that we're suffering on such a, a worldwide pandemic level. Well, Dr. Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you start and how did you end up where you are? <laughs> you know, I'd never heard the phrase culinary medicine until I was preparing for for your interview and I ran across it on the internet and I was surprised because I had just never heard of it before. Yeah, I'll actually be doing a TED Talk down in Greensboro on culinary medicine this fall. So I'm excited about that. And, oh, and hopefully people will share that. Thank you. And people will share that and, and the word will get out. Um, you know, my story is, is a long and sad one because I am a victim of two by four karma, which means I'm not very bright. And, and, and I often have to get hit in the head with a two by four before I kind of pick and pay attention and, and follow the path. But the long and the short of my journey was really, um, I got into food first. So really as a, as a young kid growing up, I was new kid on the block, not in the, the popular boy band kind of way, but in the unpopular new kid that everybody kind of picked on this sort of way. And so when I would go home, you know, the kitchen was a, a, a natural sanctuary for me because my mom was always in there cooking when I got home from school, practicing the latest recipes from the Galloping Gourmet or Jury Child or, or whomever. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. And so when I was in college and I had to work to help get through college, the food industry, the commercial food industry was a very logical place for me to start. And, and indeed, you know, I walked in, I'll, I'll never forget this. I walked in, you know, and I went into the restaurant and here I was, I was, you know, going to grace their presence with my incredible homegrown culinary skills. And I announced that I was there, you know, to, to cook for them and how lucky they were indeed. And they told me, well, that's wonderful. We have an opening for a dishwasher. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they did say, if you know, if you're willing to, to be a dishwasher, when a spot opens up on the line, because it was only really short order cook or I'd applied, uh, we will give you that spot. And six months later, they were good to their word and they promoted me to the line. And then I kind of worked my way up through the kitchen and another restaurant to what we'd call an executive chef today. Some years later, I actually went back to culinary school uh, at Ashworth University, got a degree in gourmet cooking and catering. And in between those two things, went to medical school and became a cardiologist and just always kept those two passions very much alive until actually I had some personal health challenges and I had really gotten away from my roots, you know, from my basics. And, you know, I walked in, this is a a classic story for a physician to tell, right? Because we're so good at treating everyone else, but not ourselves, (laughs) As we, as we like to say in the medical profession, right, it's do as I say, not as I do. Oh. And uh, I went in to see a podiatrist. I had an grow toenail. I uh, was getting married and we we're going overseas and I wanted to be able to hike. Uh, we were going over to Europe and the podiatrist walks in and they had taken x-rays. I was a new patient and he looked at the chart. He looks at the x-ray. He looks at me. He gets this kind of puzzled look on his face. It's like, well, well just one second. I'll, I'll, I'll be right back. 
and this goes on for like 10 minutes and he's in three or four times. And I'm like, what is this guy? Is this guy like so disorganized? Should I even be here? I thought he was supposed to be really good. And he comes in the last time and he just looks at me. He says, can I just ask you something? I was like, please, you know, uh, I do have to get back to work. And he's like, it says you're here for an integrown toenail. And I was like, yeah. He's like, how are you even walking? And I was like, excuse me? And he's like, don't your feet hurt? And I was like, my feet hurt every day. He's like, you need a joint replacement like last year. And not one, but two of them. Oh, my. And so as, you know, someone experienced in the, in the medical field, I immediately got a second opinion. And it was second first, same as the first. And so, you know, I thought, I said, you know, what can I do? Because uh, the type of, of joint damage that I had had was a result of, of me thinking, once again, I was a great uh, high school athlete and I wasn't. So I just broke bones and tore joints. And then you subsequently get inflammation, just as you mentioned earlier, Beverly. And I said, well, you know, my diet is, is shite because you know, on call and I'm just eating things that the drug reps bring and, you know, stopping at Krispy Kreme to get, you know, the hot glazed donuts and the big jug of coffee before I hit the hospital at 5.30 a.m. to do rounds. I've got to stop that. I know better. I know what real food is. And I did get the surgeries where they just cleaned out the joint and got rid of some of the bony overgrowth, but I didn't get the joint replacement at that time because I figured, you know, I could always get it down the road. And as you get further down the road, the technology tends to improve. But I tell you, that was over 20 years ago. I still don't have joint replacements. I can't go run three and five miles on the side of the road like I used to and play basketball and high impact things. But I'm in Montana and I, and I can spend eight hours hiking in the mountains. I can ride 20 miles on my bike. So, you know, I think that this path, which eventually led me to culinary medicine, you know, I believe in it because. At the end of the day, it's worked for me. Well, do you you have an exercise routine that you do every day to enable you to ride 20 miles on your bike and to hike? I, I definitely try to get exercise. And, and you bring up a great point that I'd just like to kind of mention to everyone, which is really important. And, and you mentioned exercise and moving. And so often, you know, obviously my world is, is food and health, but, you know, you touch on that, Beverly, and that's critical too. We, we have to get up and move it as well. And, and simply just walking about for you know, 20 minutes or so a day significantly cuts your risk of developing type 2 diabetes, which we know is a, a, a huge problem. So I, I generally try to always make some time to do it. Now, sometimes it's hard. Um, I have crazy days like everyone else. When I was in the cath lab and I, I was on call 24-7, you know, nonstop. So I couldn't really plan to do any exercise, but there are simple things that folks can do. And so the next time you're at the mall or you're at the grocery store, wherever, you know, don't drive around for 20 minutes so you can get that parking spot right in front. Park as far away as you can and walk, you know, as long as it's safe. Those little things that you can do during the day, they all add up. They make a difference. So I want to thank you for that because I get to tend to get really focused on the food aspect of it, but that bit about, you know, exercise moving, that's a critical component to our overall health as well. And, and a big reason that we're as sick a society as we are is that we don't get our, off our butts. Right. And we're on our butts more than we were before, at least before two or three years ago. 
Yeah, we, we are increasingly sedentary is the polite way to say that, yeah. yeah, we just rest on our duff way too long. Exactly. I know I do. I know I do. Tomorrow, I'm going to my first session with my personal trainer. I don't know how long I'm going to last. I don't know whether I'm going to engage him for the long term, but I'm going tomorrow. Yeah, that's that is fantastic. I mean, that's what we've got to do. You know, get out there and do it. And uh, personal trainers are great for you know when you can budget the time and if you can budget the funds. But you know, one of the other things that that I do, and it's just a little ten minute routine, but I have just a little morning ten minute yoga kind of greet the sun sort of day exercise, and you know that just helps you know stretch out the joints, it gets the body moving. It's only 10 minutes. It's very gentle. Again, because obviously I I have some mobility issues and and challenges. But even for folks to, you know, you can follow something online or a video or something like that and just do that 10 minutes a day. That is a huge step. And, you know, I, I actually have studied martial arts for many years. And along those those lines, we obviously work on our our mental focus as well. And the saying used to be that, you know, if you don't have, you know, 10 minutes a day for a meditation, you probably need 20. Uh, Yeah. I mean, if I did everything that I need to do to keep my body moving the way I'd like it to, I would be exercising for three to four hours. (laughs) But, you know, some of those things you can combine, you know, for example, if you just want to get out and walk, you know, you can you can listen to a book, you know, while you walk. Same thing, uh, either read or uh, do an audio book. You know, if you're you're on that bike, that stationary bike, don't do it if you're on a bike on the road, obviously. <laughs> um, I have a stationary bike in my bedroom and I watch I when I'm on the phone. The problem, you know, I just have to make sure I have my sneakers on when the phone rings so <laughs> that I can jump on the bike. I can do an hour on my bike while I'm on the phone. So I I do that, but you know, I really feel like I need to do so much more, but can you tell us what culinary medicine is? Well, sure. You know, at the university, we teach it. It's a, it's a graduate level program. So we have a very specific definition where, you know, what we say is it's a multidisciplinary evidence-based approach to examining the ingredients and techniques that are used in the preparation of foodstuffs with the goal of achieving health and wellness through an optimized food experience. And that is a total mouthful. In simple terms, what we're really talking about, Beverly, it's about your experience with food, what we call your food experience, and it's all those things what you eat, how you eat, when you eat, where you eat, when you eat, why you eat, etc. And we look to to give you the tools and empower you to be able to reforge, reconnect, reestablish a positive relationship to the food that you eat. Because at the end of the day, when we look at the data, and this was done in the, the Harvard Happiness Study, you know, what are the things that really matter? It was a great study. It's actually still going on. They've been doing it for, I think, 75 or 80 years now. And they asked a very simple question. What are the things in our lives 
that allow us to be healthy, have wellness, live a long life, and live a happy life. And really, at the end of the day, for most people, that's what it's really all about. You know, is it money? Is it socioeconomic class? You know, is it where you live? Is it what you eat? You know, is it your cholesterol level, et cetera, et cetera. And what they found is that at the end of the day, it's all about the quality of our relationships. And in culinary medicine, we have a, a viewpoint that our relationship with food is one of the first fundamental and most important relationships that we have in our life. And if you think about it as human beings, right, you know, food and our interaction with food, that served as social currency. You know, the romantic dinner is still a favorite of therapists to bring people back together, to bring people to me. And as we look at our own stories, I bet if I asked you, hey, what are your, you know, top five or 10, you know, moments of your life, at least several of them would involve some sort of food event in the background, if not in the forefront. I love Thanksgiving. I love to cook. <laughs> I love so There food. you go. I love food. You're right. And that's the way we socialize. You know, when you think about it, we do a lot of meeting and greeting and connecting and supporting around food. Absolutely. It's been that way. You know, we are social primates as human beings. And so, you know, how did we become humans in this tribe? What are some of those elements that differentiate us, you know, from, from other primates? And it's, you know, your ancestor and my ancestor, you know, 200,000 years ago, sitting on the plains of the Serengeti. And one of them said, hey, I'm going to cook up the ribs. You want some? And, you know, there it was. And we started sharing this food and we started telling stories and we started singing under those African skies. And that is the birth of human civilization. And I guarantee you it was done over a meal, if not a meal and a fermented beverage. Right. Oh, yes. Absolutely. A fermented beverage, the bane of some people's existence. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, if you had your way, if you could, you know, start all over again, would you do anything differently? Would you have gone down another path? Would you have reversed what you did and did something else or did no. more and to supplement or enhance? what you've decided to do? No, um, you know, I've been really a, a trailblazer in culinary medicine. I've been at this, you know, for over a decade. You know, I was at this before even what we use to classify food. As I, I told you in the beginning, we talked about looking at food a new way in terms of whether it's ultra processed or not. And, and there's a whole food classification system developed at the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil by Professor Montiero and his colleagues and I was actually formulating, practicing this and, and blazing this path before those guys, they, they were doing it at the same time, but their results didn't get published to about 2009, 2010, has since been adopted by the United Nations and many countries around the globe. Unfortunately, not here in the United States, but changes are coming. And I would say that, you know, everything that has happened to me, including, you know, the hard knocks, the challenging times has led me to where I am now. And so to change those would change possibly not only where I am right now, but who I am right now. And so, you know, better or worse, 
I don't have regrets about that. Now, that's not to say I didn't make a lot of bad decisions because, you know, (laughs) I think everybody does. And as the saying goes, you know, I never fail to fail because that's the easiest thing to do. But it's also about then learning to dust yourself up and get back up. And, you know, we had a saying that comes from the Japanese martial arts that I, I study, and it's, you know, fall down six times, get up seven. It's not about the falling down in our lives. It's about the getting up that, that really defines us. And so, you know, right now, uh, certainly have a lot of challenges. I've taken a lot of, a lot of knocks and a lot of professional, basically a lot of professional dissing. You know, when I, I came out with a lot of this information a decade ago that has since been proven right, things like, you know, a decade ago, I said, well, it doesn't matter how much cholesterol you eat in your diet because that doesn't have any effect on what your blood lipid levels are. This is what the data says. My cardiology colleagues said, Mike, your data's really good. And I look at it, I read your books, and I agree with you. But, you know, I'm a university professor, and I can't say that. I can't agree with you. I can't publicly support you. It is contrary to the mainstream position. And just several years ago, the government came around and got rid of the daily cholesterol guidelines because they said, you know what? There's no data for any of this. Never was. So, you know, um, I'm happy where I am right now, and, and I'm committed, you know, to pushing this forward because I truly believe it's not so much about what we get and where we are, you know, it's about what we leave. You know, when I wrote my second book, I wanted to make sure, which is, you know, they keep telling me I need to say what the name of the book is, your GPS to employment success, how to find and succeed in the right job. I wanted to make sure that the first chapter prepared people for what they might encounter emotionally, you know, no response to their letters, their resumes, their telephone calls, their texts, their emails, just managing the ups and downs of a job search. And one of the things was to make sure that they start off eating breakfast and exercising so that they maintain a healthy persona so that they're not knocked in the gut, literally, even though it it may be virtual and may be silent, not hearing about your inquiry or your application, an employment application, can be very devastating, especially to people who lack self-confidence and self-esteem. You know, I wanted to make sure that I included all that, and I wish I had included more. And that is sage advice because there's a whole area that's evolving in terms of, of food and mental health. And what we see is that things like de- depression, autism, et cetera, again, these seem to correlate with the amount of ultra-processed food that we eat, which also makes sense because the ultra-processed food changes the bacteria in our gut. And we know, for example, that when we have a happy and healthy gut microbiome, those bacteria, after we eat a meal and we feed them, they actually secrete serotonin. As a physician, you know, one of the drugs we give to people with clinical depression are serotonin receptor uptake inhibitors, which is designed to keep more serotonin in your brain and keep you happier and, and prevent depression. Well, 
the bacteria that secrete that serotonin, it gets into the bloodstream, it crosses the bloodstream barrier. And so when you eat a meal, as you're talking about, and you exercise, because that's been shown to be as effective as any single agent antidepressant in treating, you know, that form of mental challenge, what we see is that, you know, the the proper food, the movement, the exercise we talked about, that literally, you know, helps shape our mood. And in turn, we know that our mood shapes our immune system. So people who have depressed have uh, a weakened immune system. So, you know, one of the things we, we emphasize in culinary medicine is that we are not sort of these isolated organisms that just exist unto ourselves for the time that we're here on this planet. We are interconnected to everything. And so the food that you eat feeds the bacteria that affect your mood, that affects your health, and so on and so on and so on. And so we are all, you know, interconnected. And, and I think the sooner that we realize that the reality, as is, was uh, discussed by a uh, a quantum physicist, Carlos Rovelli, in his book, Reality Isn't What You Think, we live in a universe of relationships, not things. No, absolutely. Well, we're about at the end of our time together. But I want, want you to tell people, if you, if you have any advice, what advice you have for people who are about to embark on a new or a different career. What I would advise is, you know, certainly have confidence and do what you love to do. You know, for me, obviously, I I was in the depths of interventional cardiology. I did a a whole lot of clinical research. I did bench research, the physiology understanding. I love that. I'm a professional chef. I love that creative aspect of of getting out there and the challenges and, and the joy of food with people. And I've managed to bring them to, together in, in the culinary medicine. And it's been great. It, has it been easy? No. But it's important at the end of the day that you do what you love and forgive yourself. Because as you pointed out, Beverly, it's so easy because the, the world is not necessarily a, a kind and easy place. And it's easy to get discouraged. And it's easy to feel that we're silly and what we're doing is is worthless and nobody values it. So take some time out and be kind to yourself. That is an important aspect of healing as well. And that's what I would recommend. I have to agree with you. And on that very positive note, we're going to end our time with Dr. Mike. And Dr. Mike, thank you so much. It was as interesting as I thought it would be. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you. It has been as fun as I knew it would be. (laughs) I can tell that right away. So thank you so much. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to us. And again, if you're so inclined, please consider purchasing my book, Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job. It's a resource. It's a wealth of information, not just my advice, but it identifies other resources that will help pave your way to a successful employment journey. It's available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and independent bookstores everywhere. Thank you again, Dr. Mike, and everyone, I look forward to talking to you the next time. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.